Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. You can get a 50% discount when you join the community and you'll get access to all our premium articles and locked archive. We will also be supporting independent, responsible media at a crucial time when our democracy is in peril. Your support is greatly appreciated. Hey everybody, welcome to episode three of the Banter Roundtable podcast. Uh, Bob, um, we were just talking previous to our pressing the recording button and I, and I mentioned that you greatly upset me. Um, I know. I'm sorry. This this morning, I woke up having had very little sleep, uh, and uh, read Bob's article, um, which has thoroughly depressed me. Uh, about <laughs> <laughs> the race, the governor. I, I, was, I was hoping to energize people, but d- depression. I guess people can act on depression. Maybe. Um, okay, from Bob's piece, according to the latest Monmouth poll, the governor's race is down to a forty-six, forty-six. The pollster had McAuliffe leading by five points just last month. Something mm-hmm. happened in the past 30 days that's tightened the race, and I'm blaming Virginia Democrats. The voters, not the leadership. Uh, yeah. You go yeah. on. Um, but the general thesis of your piece is that this is pretty serious. This is really serious, actually, what's happening in Virginia, and we need to pay attention to it. Yeah. I mean, what we've learned over the past several national elections is that Virginia went from a red state with George W. Bush to kind of a purple state with Barack Obama to where it's been a solidly blue state in the last several national elections. And of course, given the fact that Ohio and and Florida, to an extent, are slipping into the Republican category, we need Virginia. We need those 13 electoral votes on the Democratic side. It's the Dem- it's the Virginia firewall. That's the phrase that's been bandied about, certainly going back to 2016. It was for Hillary Clinton. Virginia, that victory on election night 2016, where Hillary won Virginia, was a, a temporary sigh of relief for those of us who were following that slow motion nightmare of that night. Um, but there's a possibility that that goes away. And the way that goes away is if the Democrats lose the majorities in the General Assembly, in the Virginia legislature. And this coming up election in less than two weeks, November 2nd, uh, is one of those elections where we've got uh, the governor uh, race and then we've also got the House of Delegates where all the members of the House of Delegates in Virginia are up for re-election. And the divide there in the House of Delegates, before we get to the governor's race, the divide in the House of Delegates is 55-45 in favor of the Democrats. But um, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about that slipping away. I'm mainly concerned about the governor's mansion slipping away, going from, uh, you know, of course, there are no, uh, I think Virginia, the governor's mansion is term limited. So it's, you know, I think a one-off, one-off term. And uh, and so now we've got McAuliffe versus Glenn Youngkin and Glenn Youngkin appears to be gaining in the polls. uh, And now, according to this latest Monmouth poll, as you said, uh, Ben, is now 46, 46. It's all tied up. But what really concerned me about this Monmouth poll and, and of course, whenever we're talking about polls, Take it with a little bit of grain of salt. Um, this could be an outlier. The numbers could be off a little bit, or it could very much be an indicator of what we're looking at, which is diminished Democratic enthusiasm going into this election, which is striking. Right now, according to Monmouth, Republicans are 49% of Republican voters are enthused about voting compared to just 26% of Democrats enthused about voting. And that has actually widened from 4431 a month ago. So in the last month, for some reason, Virginia Democratic voters have been, you know, losing their interest, losing their boners when it comes to voting on November 2nd or voting early or however the voting takes place. And so that's deeply concerning because if if we lose the governor's mansion and we lose the House of Delegates, 
that leaves the Virginia State Senate as the only dividing line between democracy and probably the passage of more big lie election laws. But this time in Virginia, there's going to be extreme pressure. If Glenn Youngkin wins, there's going to be extreme pressure from Trump and the National Party, the National Republican Party, to pass those kind of election laws, the ones we've seen in Georgia, the ones we've seen in Texas, and so on, uh, all based on Donald Trump's lies and subversion of our electoral system uh, a year ago. And so that's what we're facing here. And if those, uh, if a similar law passes in Virginia, then bye-bye to the 13 electoral votes for Virginia. Hello to the next Republican president who will either be Donald Trump or some sort of Donald Trump clone. And so the enthusiasm or lack of enthusiasm among Democrats in Virginia, they got to get their act together. (laughs) The enthusiasm has to be based if it's not based on, wow, we like the fact that the Democrats are the only adults in the room. We like the fact that they support things that we also support, like fighting the climate crisis and reproductive rights. And, you know, you can go down the entire list. Yes, they're in favor of all those things. But the main thing the Democrats represent right now is the last barrier between us and fascist idiocracy. And the fastest way that we're going to turn that over to Trumpism, turn that over to fascism, is to lose interest in voting at a time when we need to be out hustling the Republicans and uh, outnumbering them in massive numbers. Voter registration drives are going to be key as far as that goes. But if we don't bring the enthusiasm, that means fewer Democrats are going to vote And that means uh, hello to uh, a red Virginia, which is uh, a little bit terrifying to contemplate. And we can't sit here and go, oh, well, don't worry about it. Fairfax County will carry us. Northern Virginia will carry it. Well, you know, (laughs) we got to be careful. We got to be prepared. It's not just a matter of sitting back and, and hoping that some region will pick up the slack. What we have to do is uh, maybe maybe in this case, spend a little less time on Twitter and Facebook and maybe a couple of hours a week registering voters. I'm just saying this is uh, the sort of thing that we all need to do if we all recognize the, the urgency of our politics right now. The, uh, as, uh, as Bob Woodward and Robert Costa say, our national security emergency. And uh, that's what we're facing. I'm blaming Justin. Justin, so you're in Virginia, so you need to get on this. Yeah, yeah, clearly, Justin. clearly, I have to do something. But I do have some observations. One, okay. one bad, one good. All right. Um, so it's not just that Virginia would turn red. Like even if it was just a governor, mm-hmm. that's a problem in and of itself because he'll do everything possible in the long run to suppress votes. Right? He's gonna he's gonna try to do everything he can to get to keep people from voting one way or the other. The second thing that will ha- is going to be an issue is in the 2024 election, um, if Virginia goes blue as the governor, he's going to be in a position to say, oh, yeah, no, those those that this is not the proper outcome. The electors aren't real. And that's the type of um, excuse Republicans need to not count votes from states that don't vote for Trump. Right. So, I mean, that was part of their plan was to delegitimize the electors so the House would be able to pick. Uh, And now, you know, if the House goes back to Republicans by 2024, that's something they're going to be very, very interested in doing is cutting out three or four blue states and just saying, oh, yeah, we don't have to count the electors from those states. And, oh, look at that. We won, even if we lost. Yep, absolutely. That's 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 a huge problem. Other aside from everything else about Youngkin that is disgusting, mm-hmm. that's a, a threat right there. Now, the good part, the good news, is that um, being as I live in Virginia, I've been here for the last eight years, right? So I've been here through two presidential elections and uh, you know all the off off year ones, and I have never had someone knock on my door before. Um, about the election, yeah, not here because this is I I live in Alexandria, which is right in the middle of the bluest part of Northern Virginia, which is mm-hmm. pretty goddamn blue. But I've had people knock on my door twice now, 
in the last three weeks. And they're they're all coming from the SEIU, the um, Service Employees, uh, the Service Employees International uh, Union. They've been all over the place knocking on doors. And like I said, I've never seen this before. So they're not, it's not where they're trying not, to, they're not trying to get out the vote. There are people out there trying to get out the vote in places where they've never bothered doing it before. Hmm, so interesting. Yeah. I see them all the time out on the street, which is interesting. You know, it's like, wow, look at that. I've never seen these people out here, but they're they're and they're all in um, uh, for the Democrats. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, there's at least something going on and that's positive. I, I just, I don't see a whole lot of urgency surrounding the, uh, Virginia race right now. And, and my deepest concern is that Democratic voters are sitting around spending a lot of time criticizing the National Party while not really doing anything about it. I think we need to disabuse ourselves of this idea that we got to wait for the National Party to get better at messaging or to do X and Y that we want them to do while not doing anything about that ourselves. And there are things that we can do ourselves, uh, such as absolutely participating in our local Democratic committee and, and so on. We can get involved uh, rather than just sitting back and screaming about it on Twitter. I think that's an important uh, element here. And so there's a lot of uh, shitting on the National Party going on that um, we need to start taking a look at ourselves, too, because the key is not the terms of the political debate in this country have changed. To the point where the urgency of outnumbering the Republicans is paramount. And that's the thing we need to focus on. We need to focus on turning out. We're first registering as many, not just random voters, but as many Democrats as possible. Go out a registration drive, get as many Democrats signed on, and then physically drag them to polling places. Get them absentee ballots. Get whatever it takes to uh to help them to legally vote we got to do those things because as soon as we let our guard down uh they're just waiting the the republicans the, the trumpists are just waiting to sweep back into office and once they arrive they will not leave and how do i know all these things because it's already happened we saw what happened on january 6th we saw the behavior of trump for four years this isn't some myth it's not some sort of hypothesis oh what could possibly happen if the republicans take over what if they get a trifecta in virginia and elsewhere we know they're telling us we're talking about not just future elections we're talking about constitutional amendments the mark levin series of 10 liberty amendments are still on deck as something the republicans legitimately want to do once they get enough trifectas in the states so these are things these I mean, it's not just virginia it's you know if you've got state and local elections happening where you are this is just as important as the national you know presidential and congressional races what is that tendency bob what do you think the tendency why is it that the democrats tend to just switch off you know, they, they win an election and then all of a sudden, almost instantaneously, they it's everything's Joe Biden's fault. The Democrats suck. You know, um, yeah. I don't I don't get it. It's like, you know, with, with what happened to Obama, um, where he just got absolutely annihilated in the midterms after his election. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in I, I think there's there's a level of groupthink that goes on. I mean, all groups, you know, whether it's a political group or celebrity fan club, all the points in between uh, tend to have groupthink where an idea sort of worms its way in everyone's head. And then we have to pursue that idea in order to continue to be members of that group. So, for example, holding our leadership accountable. I understand that this is, uh, you know, an extremely important aspect of participation in American politics. We need to do these things. But right now, in a temporary sense, we got to put aside some of the old priorities and, and reconfigure what's at the top of our list. And right now, to me, the number one priority is blocking the rise of fascism, or at the very least, the end of the democratic republic that we exist in right now. And uh, that is the main thing. Until this Trumpism business is somehow rebottled or marginalized, we have serious work to do. We're talking about a cold civil war in this country. 
And uh, obviously, this is not we're not talking about uh, 1861 or anything like that. But there is a cold culture war, a cold political war going on right now. And um, there's just no luxury for saying, well, we got our guy in. Let's we can sit back and start screaming about our pet issues. And if they don't do exactly what we want them to do, then they're shit and they're lazy and they're ineffectual and they're weak or whatever. Whatever the words are that are going around with regard to the Democratic Party right now. And so I think there's also been a level of uh, I, I hesitate to get into the psychology of it, but sometimes I get the feeling that liberals enjoy the agony of defeat. They like, to an extent, we revel in being the underdog who fights the good fight, but ultimately loses in the end. Maybe there's there's a sense of romanticism about that or, you know, tragic comedy that gives liberals, uh, there's something in the liberal mind that makes us uh, kind of, in a sick sense, uh, embrace that defeat, that agony. And... Uh, I, I don't know what causes that necessarily, but I see it a lot. I see it in so far as what we often do is after something has already passed, after some terrible legislation has wormed its way through a state legislature, through Congress, becomes law, and then we act or after an election, we act. And once, you know, if Virginia falls and they end up passing a bunch of election laws and then we protest after it or Donald Trump wins because the Republicans get those 13 electoral votes in 2024 and then we protest it's it's too late. Uh, we got to make a difference at that point. Yeah, we got to reprioritize winning elections. That's got to be the main thing for us. Uh, obviously, the issues and and establishing policy to confront those issues, they're all important, but we don't get to do those things unless we win as many elections as possible. And the secret to that is, as I was saying, get as many brains into polling places as possible. That's the key. And it's not rocket science. What, what Stacey Abrams is doing right now, that's the template. Do what Stacey Abrams is doing. Register as many voters, and then uh, and then we can start uh, pushing back against this rising tide. Yeah, I I think that um, you know it, it's not that we're helpless. Like as depress as depressing as as this sort you know the current situation in Virginia is. Ultimately, you know the power is in the voters' hands to do something about it, and we can. And Americans have shown you know, at least recently that they can, they get their act together, they can get out there and they can like Donald Trump got stomped in, in 2020. He got yes. stomped, yeah. smashed. Like it wasn't close at all. Right. And, and, right. and he was, he was thoroughly beaten by Joe Biden. So it is possible to win these elections. Yeah. You know, I mean, just, we're good at, we're good at changing hands. We're, we're good at rising up against someone. What we're not so good at is rising up in support of someone. You know, right. you can look at you can look at 2010 as an example, um, where we allowed the meme about uh, the Affordable Care Act to poison the well, and then you know we ended up losing the majorities in uh, in Congress as a consequence of that. And so we need to do better. We need to understand that retaining power is just as important as seizing power. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. No, I recommend everybody read Bob's piece. It's 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 fantastic. Um, out now on the banter. If, if, if Just have a shot of tequila on hand when you're done with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. Or Xanax. <laughs> if yeah, it's, if Democrats or lose both. in Virginia, democracy is on the chopping block. Couldn't yeah, couldn't have couldn't have encapsulated it better. Uh, Justin, Justin, your piece this week, <laughs> which was hilarious and depressing. <laughs> At the same time, it was a, a, a thorough evisceration. It was a thorough sort of beatdown of um, the Washington Post, Kathleen Parker. Uh, uh, titled, your piece this week was the sad, totally real feminist oppression of men. Um, and you took Kathleen Parker to the, you, I mean, you. it was a about as, a, as vicious a takedown as I've seen. Um, yeah, I, I read that. I came across that article and I was reading it and I was like, oh, my fucking God. Now, OK, so I I first started hearing about men's right activists several years ago. And 
I tried really, really hard to stay away from them because they're they're I, and I've written about it before, but they're the gender equivalent of Nazis. Okay, they hate women so much that it's it's unpleasant to deal with it, right? So I've been trying not to get into it because it's just it's like swimming in a cesspool with razor blade cuts all over my body. It's just disgusting. And I've spent a lot of time mucking around in neo-Nazi forums. And this is just like that, but only for women. So when I'm reading this article by Kathleen Parker, um, it was really impressive that pretty much she is just regurgitating all of their talking points. Uh, now, it's an opinion article, and it's um, uh, which we'll go, why it's not surprising that young men are abandoning college. Uh, and I don't know if you guys were aware of it, but women surpassed men in college enrollment like back in the 90s, I believe it was. And since then, it's just that gap has gotten steadily worse. Now it's up to 60% women, 40% men enrolled in college. Uh, and they're graduating at higher levels and more women are entering the workforce with degrees than men are. Um, and people have been trying to figure out what the reason for this for years and yada, yada, yada. But Kathleen Parker knew. She knew who was to blame. And, of course, it was women. Because, of course, you have to blame women. You always have to blame women. And the whole article was just this just litany of bullshit from her. I mean, all right. So, let's see. I mean, uh, her her the, my my takeaway line for her was: "We're merely seeing the culmination of fifty years of feminist advances combined with economic shifts that have met, left men unemployed and socially sidelined." Now, we live in a country where men still hold the overwhelming amount of money, or the overwhelming amount of power, it, it, both cultural and political. And yet somehow we're supposed to believe that men have been sidelined and it's all because of women. Um, and it's amazing that the Washington Post actually let this be published. I showed this to my two girls, right? Lila's 13. She's about to turn 14. Anastasia's 11. And they both read this article and they just were nauseated by it. Mind you, they're kids. They're not, they're, this is not the type of stuff they read, but they understood exactly what you were saying and why all of it was garbage. And I can only take credit for part of that. It was just so obvious on its face. Uh, not for nothing. I mean, she goes into it. She starts with uh, how this all began when men started losing divorce battles and custody of their kids, uh, which is not entirely true. But at the same time, when it was true, because it's not true now, but it was true for a while that women were given custody of the children more often. And what she neglects to talk about is the fact that we as a society have told women, you are the primary caregiver. Your job is to take care of the kids. Men, men are not supposed to take care of kids. They're not supposed to do that. That's weak. If you show emotions, you're weak. You can't raise children. You have to let the woman do it because, you know, they're more emotional, blah, 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 and all that bullshit. And then when the courts are faced with, well, who do we give the kid to? The person that everyone says is supposed to raise the kid or the person who's emotionally constipated and does not know how to deal with children? Well, of course you're going to give it to the mother. Of course the kid's going to go with the mother. That was the that's, that's what you set up. That's the system you designed. So, but of course... This is the fault of women. Somehow, it's their fault. And she goes on and on and on. Um, I mean, she wrote a book about you know saving men because evil feminists are destroying menliness. You know, at one point she complains about how children, boys without fathers don't learn how to be men because you have to have a man to teach you how to be manly. It's like, really? What are you talking about? Um, it's just. It's it's trying to mainstream the hate of the MRA movement is what she's doing. And I don't even know if she's where she's doing it, although I find it unlikely that she doesn't. 
but she's just trying to mainstream it and make it acceptable to blame women for men failing in a system they designed to benefit them. I mean, really, our entire country is designed to, especially white men, you know, uh, it's designed to benefit men, mostly white men, and if women are rising to that challenge anyway, which they have been, which is really, this is one of the reasons is a men's right activist movement, because they see that, they see them rising to that challenge, and it's freaking them out. Because the only thing that they're more scared of in this world, uh, the only thing they're scared of most in this world is having to compete with women on an equal playing field. They don't want that. And the problem is, is that they'll find out not that women are better, but that men aren't special. Because remember, we as a society, as a culture, have been telling women forever, you're less than. And they've been telling men, you are the apex of everything, especially white men. But if you take that away and it's just, no, neither one of you are better than the other. And Sorry, men, you're not special. They can't deal with that. You know, it's, it's, the, male, it's the gender version of white privilege. You know, that is a thing. Male privilege is a thing. You know, you go I, into a... I think you just need to look at, I mean, how, how you know, we just go back to 2016 and look at how Hillary Clinton was treated. Um, oh, it was appalling. Compared to Donald Trump. Yeah, no, it was appalling. It was, uh, it was like, you know, every little thing she did, she was shrill. She was unlikable. It's like, have you listened to Donald Trump? I mean, Chris Elizabeth wrote 50 freaking articles about her emails, and hardly anyone had anything to say about Donald Trump's yeah. literal crimes. The, the great irony is that we never go after, uh, you know, careerist, ambitious uh, type A personalities when they're men in, in politics, certainly not at the congressional level, certainly not at the presidential level. In fact, a lot of times as Democrats, we want more of that. Um, but as soon as a woman asserts herself, then she's a bitch, then she's ambitious or conniving uh, or, you know, and I think it comes from th there's a male fear that that kind of uh, personality coming from a woman is eventually going to end up with that woman laughing at your small penis. I, I think there's a. <laughs> I think there's a level of that. There's a level of fear that, you know, reminds people of their, you know, their junior high school principal or something like that. Or, you know, that 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 woman who was unattainable, who didn't want to go out with you because she was more ambitious with and had higher standards for uh, her dating life or whatever. We, we resent certain kinds of women because of maybe some sort of formative uh, experience that we had. And yeah, maybe that's, well, that's like the entire tip. incel, the incel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is all right. about that. The incels are all about that. Like, Oh my God, I've been rejected so often. So now I'm going to become a fascist. It's just, it's, it's insane. And women have been de dealing with that for as long as there has been human society and enough is enough. Uh, right. I mean, if we're going to, uh, have heroic, or I should say anti-heroic figures in the media, for example, like Tony Soprano and uh, um, uh, Don Draper or Walter White. But yet Hillary Clinton is an a-hole. I, I just, I, I find that astonishing and quite revealing that there is that massive disparity. And women all know what I'm talking about. I'm not breaking any news here. <laughs> Right, and, and this is the shtick that that just that people like um, Jordan Peterson. This is what this is the sort of nonsense that he's selling his his audience, uh, and it's this yeah this kind of notion that I mean I've listened to Jordan Peterson say that um, inequality it's like a myth that the whole thing is a myth that the feminist um, narrative is a complete distortion of history. Yeah, it's like hold a second, marital rape was legal in America until the late 1970s, right? Mm -hmm. Justin, this is in your piece as well. Yep. Um, and and you just think like, did these people have no idea? I mean, Kathleen Parker, I'm surprised. I mean, she's old enough to know better. She's old enough to know what it, what it was like for women, you know, 15, just 15 years ago. 
I mean, even previous to the me, like even pre two thousand sixteen, was a was a different world. Like it, it really was a different world. Yeah. Everything I look, I'm always watching. You know, when I ever I see something that was uh, like I don't know a movie or a TV series that came out before two thousand and sixteen, there there are all these, you know, the subtle misogyny and and um, sex subtle. That that well subtle. I mean, I, that I wasn't guess, subtle. I guess it depends on when it on when it was, right? I mean, it's the further back you go, the more the more obvious it, it is. But but still, up and you know, up until recently, um, you know, female like you talk about in your article about having strong female leads is is like it's it's very well, yeah. Very I mean, like if like like I was saying, like I said in the article, if you look at the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? There's dozens of superhero, like five of them are women. And the rest are secondary characters or love interests or comic relief. You know, The Eternals is coming out uh, in the next couple of weeks, and it's going to almost double the number of women in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe who have superpowers. Hmm. You know, I mean, and this, that's happening now, and it's still that unbalanced. And I'm, wow. I'm, presumably men are freaking out. A lot of guys are freaking out about it. Yeah, because like the, the, it seems like the women are the lead in that movie, and oh my god, they can't handle that. They freaked out over Captain Marvel. They were a little less pissy about um, Black Widow because she was an established character. But anytime a woman is a lead in one of these movies, like the the rage, the absolute rage directed at Rey from Star Wars, oh my is god, off the charts. Yep, because how dare. The main character in Star Wars, the main good guy, not be a guy waving his dick around. Yeah, Heaven yeah, and you know, even uh, on the flip side of that, uh, Ray Fisher, who played Cyborg in uh, in the Zack Snyder uh, uh, DC movies, uh, he's been facing a similar uphill battle with <laughs> insane fanboys. Who it's a whole universe. If if you think political uh twitter and political discussion forums are infuriating and insufferable check out the comic book movie forums and and twitter <laughs> oh my god just, they're the worst yeah it's the worst and it what you know what makes it worse is because it's the same level of divisiveness and screaming that you see in political twitter except it's it completely inconsequential because it has to do with superhero movies and star <laughs> Wars movies. It's, it's maddening. It's, it's one of the reasons why I don't do like a comic book movie, star Wars kind of podcast, because I just don't want any involvement. Oh my God. That you would just community. be flamed constantly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Any wrong opinion means you're like the worst person in the world. <laughs> yeah. But yep. you know, in, in this universe, we're supposed to believe that in, in Kathleen Parker's universe, women are women are the oppressors. Uh huh. Where everywhere as you look, it's women being treated like garbage, and they have to fight tooth and nail, just just not to be treated like garbage. Never mind equity, just not being treated like garbage. Yeah, that's right. what they have to fight tooth and nail for. Mm -hmm. But men are oppressed because it's a real thing by feminists. Feminists are oppressing men. It's <sighs> it's just the internalization of this uh, of this misogyny, which I find so disturbing. Whenever you hear a kind of conservative woman talks talk like this, you you just think how it's that bad that there are intelligent women who have also bought into this. You know, mm. this is this is how far we are. This is how bad things are. That that you have you know educated highly educated uh, um, intelligent people who are parroting just provably wrong nonsense yeah i mean it's really bad and and that's why it, it is it's really sad it's really sad to 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 read that from someone like you know from, from particularly from, from a woman because it's it's you know it's like when you hear um i don't know african-americans um uh repeating when they talk about how there's no racism in america yeah, yeah, yeah white people the ones who are really oppressed Right, right, right. They've internalized this kind of a systemic, uh, uh, an issue that's so systemic that a lot of people don't even realize that that it's happening. And, and you, you know, know, this is this is kind of uh, dicey territory. So bear with me on this. I think that in order to solve this, the onus, in large part, is on liberal women to convince the red hat women the conservative women like kathleen top or kathleen parker to 
to change their minds on these things because it's all well and good for us as three white guys sitting around going, Hey woman, don't, <laughs> don't believe what you believe. Uh, but it's something entirely different if uh, if women say that there, there is a major difference. What what I have to say uh, to women is not nearly as important as what other women say to women uh, because of that insight, because of that connection. And you know what happens ultimately if uh, liberal women can convince more conservative women to at least moderate their views uh, the women vote is unstoppable. That's how you get a majority female Congress, a majority women uh, state legislature, uh, governors uh, become women, uh, presidents, obviously. And that power base expands because women naturally have a majority in this country, just in terms of straight up human beings. That's the way it is here. And if women can seize that and exploit that advantage, uh, there will there will naturally be fewer and fewer men uh, winning those offices, uh, having that level of control that, that we have retained for so many thousands of millennia. And yeah, so I, that's one of the keys to me. Yeah, I, I think I think you're 100 percent right. I know it's, it's a tr it's a tricky subject and it's hard to know how to weigh in on this sensitively and helpfully as yeah. well. Um obviously given given our genders you know it, it's not necessarily yeah you're right it's not our place to come in and <laughs> tell conservative women they have to change their mind about these things but i think like you know for example justin's piece does a really good job of just factually destroying oh, yes. mm -hmm. destroying her argument i mean there, there's just no room for I don't see how she could argue any of those points. Yeah, and I'm not saying that we can't make arguments as men uh, when it comes to idiot conservative women, just like we would with idiot conservative men. It just, I think it's more effective if if women are talking to women who need to be convinced. Uh, that's where it, it gains more credibility, I think. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. So, guys, next on to the last uh, segment of the podcast today which is uh, uh my piece uh, this week which was part two of my series on anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists hmm. so uh the the first part was released um last week and that was called that was titled psychedelic spiritual narcissism and vaccine resistance gone insane uh and this week i published a new piece called how to deal with anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists part two and uh this was basically my attempt to give a bit of to, to kind of put, lay out the landscape as to how how have we gotten to this place where we're we're hearing anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists what why are they so prevalent in in the kind of public consciousness like why are we you know why is why are we fighting this disinformation battle um number one and number two um what can we do about it where do we mm -hmm. go from here? Like, what what are what are the solutions that we have? Um, and you know, uh, I also go into the piece about some of the kind of psychological um, explanations as to why people latch onto this stuff. So it's, we've almost got like a perfect cocktail of of um, uh, events that have kind of converged to create this extremely troubling situation where you have. Um, you know, conspiracy theories basically gone mainstream, uh, and then you have a media environment that pr that is profitable to kind of promote this, to, to promote this kind of stuff, uh, clickbait, um, disinformation. Social media companies profit from this stuff big time, uh, and that means we're now living in a, in a, such a kind of fractured eco media ecosystem that it's almost impossible to agree on anything on what facts are anymore. Uh, so this is, you know, it, it is, you know, very, I, I view this as one of the great um, issues, the threats mm -hmm. at the moment is this disinformation war that we're in. And Donald Trump was a, definitely a part of that. Donald Trump was a guy who kind of figured out how to kind of game the system and pump out massive amounts of disinformation and conspiracy theories. Um, but the same thing is happening with in the anti-vax movement and all the kind of uh, COVID denialism and things like that. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 in a we're in a I think in a bad in a pretty bad situation. Well, I mean, the profit motive to uh, do clickbait is enormous. 
when I was working a gazillion years ago at Addicting Info, um, that was the first place I wrote for. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We, yeah. Well, what can you do? It wasn't <laughs> for another time, right? Addicting I was there Info. for a while too. So yeah. Once, once, um, once the once we started making a lot of money, um, the incentive to write clickbait went through the roof because that's not how we started. We started with writing articles about stuff that we thought was important. But once money got involved, like real money, you know, the site started pulling in over $100,000 a month. When that happened, the incentive changed from writing articles to writing clickbait. Um, and I was I was the um, the editor in chief for a while, and I fought that tooth and nail. Hmm. You know, like every article was like, no, this has to be a real article. No, you can't write this because it's just clickbait. I got into arguments constantly, but the guys who owned the site were like, well, viewership is down. It's like, well, I'm not letting them write clickbait. I'm letting they have to write real articles, and I got fired, I, or I got demoted. Hmm. Right, because they didn't want that. They wanted the clicks, not the real articles. And then it just spiraled out of control until it turned into pure bullshit. You know, it was just garbage clickbait constantly. And surprise, surprise, Raw Story's still there. They did they did something similar, but they didn't do the clickbait thing. You know, they kept writing relatively real articles. It's not, you know, the New York Times or the Washington Post, but they're still real articles. And we didn't. And Addicting Info went under because of that. No, like We just got tuned out because it was just garbage, 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 garbage. Um, so, well, and, yeah. and since since I'm tough love guy this week as far as uh, taking personal responsibility for some of this stuff, uh, one thing we can do about clickbait is to stop clicking on it. I mean, that's... Obviously, there's lots of people making clickbait still to this day, and that's not breaking news necessarily. But the thing is, is that we keep clicking on it. And, you know, the way to stop the clickbait is to no longer support it. And I get a lot of shit on social media when I pay attention to uh, Republicans who are already famous and who will not benefit from my attention at all. Uh, but yet I so stop amplifying those guys, Bob. Well, and I have my I have my very legitimate reasons for talking about them, uh, none of which I want to go into in the context of this conversation. But suffice to say, what we should really be avoiding as far as amplification are the obvious clickbait headlines. And I know of a few uh, publishers and publications alike who still get lots of attention from the left and they don't deserve it. I mean, there are several who are brand new to the scene. There are several who we have been burned by. See also the Krasenstein brothers or whoever those guys were. I mean, there are lots of frauds and guys out who are just uh, looking to make a, a quick buck on the level of political outrage out there. And we just need to be a little bit more discerning, a little bit more careful about what we support with our social media platforms. Yeah, I think that's definitely yeah. right. I mean, I when I was writing my piece, I was kind of doing research into how does, how do we stop vaccine disinformation? How do you yeah. stop conspiracy theories from spreading? Um, and essentially the, the best thing that you can do, right. It, this is comes from the center for countering digital hate. It's run by a guy called Imran Ahmed, who's very, very smart guy, very, very, very clever guy. And, and he, you know, I quoted him in, in, in my piece and he says, um, when we see anti-vax misinformation on social media, we must resist falling into the trap of engaging with it, mm. however tempting it may be to print out obvious flaws and falsehoods. Engaging with misinformation online spreads it further. If we scratch the itch, we spread the disease. It is far more helpful and effective to instead share good information about vaccines from trusted sources. And when we each have our turn to be vaccinated, we should tell our friends and followers photos and clips posted on social media of early recipients of vaccines encourage us all and show there is nothing to fear. Yep. So I think that's, that's really, really good advice. You know, mm -hmm. I did spend um, a lot of time early on, at least last year, uh, trying to counter some of the people who, you know, who I knew who were spreading all sorts of nonsense and trying to debunk what they were saying. 
But the problem is with a lot of people, um, particularly the true believers, the conspiracy theorists and the cult members, uh, you can't change their minds about anything. Right? There's nothing that you can do. If you've fallen down the rabbit hole, it's, you know, there's likely a number of reasons, you know, psychological reasons and probably just intelligent, the overall intelligence reasons as well. Although I have seen some highly intelligent people spread complete and utter nonsense. Mm. Um, but the problem is when you engage with it, it does encourage it. And social media algorithms, do they want engagement, right? They promote um, on Facebook and uh, Facebook in particular, the more a piece is engaged with, the higher up on your newsfeed it's going to be. Right. And they don't care if it's positive or negative engagement, whichever don't one care. gets more. Don't care. Right. Whatever gets whatever gets more. And this is why I, we talked about this on the podcast as well, um, about the, what this is why right wing right wing content gets shared a lot more because it whips up anger and, and resentment and fear and, and people engage with it and you know, then you just, you see more of it. Um, and then all of a sudden you are immersed in this bubble of just bullshit. And I, th I think this is what's happening as well with, with, you know, back in the day, a lot of these new age communities uh, and anti-vax communities would have been in kind of relative obscurity. So you wouldn't have really heard from them at all. Right. But they, there's some very savvy operators. There were apparently 12 people just 12 people who are responsible for almost for for like the overwhelming majority of anti-vax disinformation and conspiracy theories that are spreading online during during the pandemic uh, the disinformation doesn't yeah, um, that should never have been allowed to go that far right which and is purely to, from the social media companies to allow it yeah well they profit from it and the the disinformation these disinformation doesn't they profit from it um, and the social media companies profit from it. And by the time, you know, everyone called bullshit, everyone called Twitter and Facebook on on this nonsense, it was too late. The, the the cat was out of the bag and the disinformation had spread, you know. So all of a sudden it was Bill Gates and 5G and all this kind of stuff. And, and it, it becomes amplified. So I'm, I'm now, I kind of monitor a lot of these um, new age influencers and wellness influencers. And... And they are genuinely convinced that the more, even the, the, the saner ones are still convinced it's a 50-50 argument of for the vax or anti-vax. Like, you know, both sides are just equally valid perspectives. It's like, no, not really. One side is full of pseudoscientific bullshit and the other is backed by, you know, the brightest scientific minds on the planet. So it, it isn't a case of, oh, you just have a different perspective. We have to respect everyone's viewpoints. No, you don't, I don't have to respect a viewpoint that is not based in, in evidence. It's not based on any, you know, n nobody with any real credibility has signed off on. Yeah, their feelings are not equal to Dr. Fauci's uh, several PhDs and whatever. It's just not the same. Right, ex exactly, exactly. So, the, you know, this is the the advice really was to that, that this is what i think is that is that you treat disinformation and you treat people spreading this kind of stuff as the virus itself and i'm and again i'm not i want to make clear that i'm not saying that anti-vaxxers are literally a virus like I, you know i i have anti-vax friends um they are still i'm still friendly with them i i disagree with them profoundly um they make me angry um you know i think we all got the vaccine um, I it wasn't like I enjoyed getting a vaccine. I don't think I, can, I don't know anybody who enjoyed getting um, <laughs> getting vaccinated and getting feeling like shit for a couple of days. It was well, you, know, right. you got slapped around by it, didn't you? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it knocked me on my ass for 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 the, it's the first shot. I was down for two days. Um, you know, I'll take that over COVID, and I'll take that to protect my family and protect other people. Of course, but it wasn't like I, I, I don't want to get a vaccine for for um, a, a previously un, you know a relatively little known disease, right? But you do you know you do what you have to do for for society and to, to protect people and protect yourself. So I feel like they're all benefiting from us having taken the vaccine. We all take the vaccine, right? Uh, reduce the spread of COVID. And then the anti-vaxxers get to say, yeah, well, it's not that dangerous anymore. And it's like, yeah, that's because most of us have got vaccinated, right? We've all, we've all taken the risk. 
um, uh, to get vaccinated while you're banging on about your sovereignty and, and, and freedom and right to like not be vaccinated. Yeah, it's great. But if the rest of us hadn't got vaccinated, we'd still be under strict lockdown and the hospitals would be overflowing. So, you know, it's um, I think, you know, you have to isolate these at least what they the social media presence has to be isolated. You know, report them. I report anybody who spreads anti-vax disinformation on social media. I, oh, I, yeah. I I've been doing that for a couple of months now. It's like just report, 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 report. I don't know if they're getting pulled, but I've definitely been reporting. Yeah, don't engage, just report it. You know, you just flatten it. You know, one of the big shifts that's happened in our lifetimes here is that journalism and activism went from a zero-profit zero rich people kind of uh, activity into a multi-billion dollar activity. And mm. I, it, it's one of the things that concerns me most uh, that this is never going to get bottled back up or the influence of it is never going to be fully marginalized as long as there is this massive amount of cash flowing through the disinformation industry. And there is an entire entertainment industry now that has been built up around the notion of, well, let's make as much money as possible by, you know, screaming nonsense and disinformation at a willing audience, uh, taking advantage of their fears and manipulating them into thinking that X and Y is true when in fact it's really not true. That's why, you know, we have this conversation here in my house a lot between Kimberly and I, where we talk about how, well, what's going to, what'll happen if say, let's say the COVID virus was a thousand times worse. And if you got it, you would bleed from the eyeballs and you eventually your brain would liquefy, liquefy or something like that. Would that then be something that would unify all of us in some way? Would that be something that would tamp down this level of disinformation and grievance mongering that we've been seeing, especially over the past four years? And my response to that is no, of course no. not. There's too much money oh, to be made. There's too much yeah. money to say, okay, there's this thing. We're going to do the opposite of what the smart people are doing. Because why? There's millions and millions and millions of dollars in it for us if we do. Roger Ailes, uh, you know, and this precedes the internet, obviously. Roger Ailes tapped into a demographic in this country, monetized a demographic. That's the most important aspect of Fox News Channel. He monetized a group of people that up to that point hadn't really been targeted politically, or at least in a serious sense, or in terms of media, uh, news media. Uh, and then he found it and was like, well, why isn't anyone tapped into this? I'm going to do it. And so that's, <laughs> that's where you get Fox News Channel. That's where you get the rise of this entire disinformation uh, Red Hat entertainment complex that we see today. And that involves also the conspiracy theory websites, Alex Jones and so on. And, uh, and here we are to the point where uh, um, a prankster in the Philippines, Ron Watkins, and his dad, uh, I always mix them up. It's Ron and Jim Watkins, their father and son team. And where I think it was Ron Watkins who created Q, created the Q character and engaged in this gigantic uh, scam online. And it was, it, 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 it expanded like wildfire. It, it expanded like, uh, a firestorm uh, around the world. And it's because of this platform that's been created, this for-profit platform, this disinformation industry. And, uh, I don't know how we fix that. I don't know how we roll that back. I mean, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, Bob. And I think the only thing, like I've thought about this long and hard, and I think the only thing that you can do is to combat the disinformation, put yeah. out good, in, put good information, and just recognize that you're in a kind of a, you're in a war, right? It's like the, I, I view this as the sort of, you know, the Trumpism, fascism. You don't, you can't negotiate with it. You can't reason with it. You can't um, hope that it will go go away. It's not going to go away, Right. It's not going to go away. It has to be fought. It has to be continuously fought, right? Disinformation has to be fought. Fascism has to be fought. We have these instincts in in, in human societies, right? We clearly they they cl clearly these you know, and every now and then um, these forces are un, kind of unleashed, and they and they it goes wild, and and it's almost un, uncontrollable. 
So I think that the sort of sane, rational, reasonable people, um, humane people, have to just accept that this is what, you know, this is your role in society. This is our role in society. Is just as, okay, we're going to take up the fight. We're going to, no matter what happens, like, you know, no matter what happens, we're going to go to fight every day. You're going to go, you're going to fight the disinformation. You're going to be responsible, do the things that the opposition isn't doing. Um, even knowing that it's not going to be as popular, that you're not going to make millions and millions of dollars, um, but that you're doing the right thing and that you're, you know, that you eke out victories. It's like the, you know, winning, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a matter of inches, right? But those inches are important, right? You have to, and to, 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 to win, you, you know, you have to put the effort in. And unfortunately, this is, you know, I've just come to this, this conclusion that, that that's the way life is. Right, and it's like you can either be part of the solution or you can be part of the problem. And uh, one you know. one of the things that I, I I do a lot is, and and you've seen this in my articles, is that I try to get people to understand exactly what it is they're facing and yeah. what it is that Republicans want to do. Like uh, what you call it? Rick Rick Wiles um, just had a video put out a video like in the last couple of days where he said that the vaccine has, quote, an egg that hatches into a synthetic parasite and grows inside your body. And, (laughs) you know, he went on about how the people do behind this are the most evil people to ever exist, the most evil people in the world, meaning us, right? We're, we're, We're the people he's talking about. And one of the things I keep trying to drill into people's head is that this is this is the this is the type of talk that leads to the cattle cars because once you convince your base that the people they're going against are the apex of evil right the most imperfect embodiment of evil well then anything that you do is okay anything is allowable because you could do the worst most horrible thing to these people because they're pure evil which means you're the hero and then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and that's that's one that's something that terrifies me because this is the type of this is the type of language the Nazis used in order to get the country to accept killing six million Jews. Mm-hmm. They weren't real, they're monsters, they're horrible, they're evil. It's okay if we wipe them out. That's what they're doing. Yeah, no, sadly I think you're right. Um, you know, and uh I think again, you know, the only way to to, right, as you say, we have to kind of remind people about what they're fighting and and try to like Bob, like in your piece, you know, it's like you have to rally people to the cause as well. It's like yeah. you know, get out the vote, stop disinformation, be part of it. Like it's down, it's not you can't wait for you can't wait for for anyone to come and <laughs> to come and save us from this mess. It's 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 uh, you know, we've got to go and do it ourselves. Like and that that's yeah, the right. thing, and, and thankfully we can. Yep. Joy, what a, another another episode of ending on a cheery note. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to be motivational, guys. It's supposed to be motivational. It means that you know, <laughs> is that we can we can we can help ourselves. It we're not completely helpless. Right. You know, no, we're definitely not helpless. We're not That's helpless. Absolutely not helpless. Yeah, go and block an anti-vaxxer on Facebook if you've got the. T- you know what I mean? Go on your Facebook feed, report someone. You know, <laughs> do it. You feel better about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Be the vaccine. Get the vaccine. <laughs> no, be the vaccine. Get the vaccine and be the vaccine yes, against get the, the uh, antivirus. Anti-vaxxers. Uh, that needs to be our tagline. <laughs> be the vaccine. Guys, um, that was great. That was great. Uh, thank you so much um, for participating and everybody listening. Thank you uh, for, for tuning in to the, to the Roundtable podcast. We're really enjoying this. If you are enjoying the show, please leave us a comment below. Get involved. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, we'll be back next week. Um, guys, have a great week. Have a great weekend. And see you then. Thanks so much, Ben. Thanks a lot. <laughs> all right, guys. I am um, so sorry about my sound getting all weird. <laughs> that's okay. I'm going to see what I can do to try and fix the sound on it. I don't know. Who knows? We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, Hold on, it let, me, let me check it real quick. Is it doing that again now that I'm talking straight into it? No. 
No. It's not doing that. It's not making the whatever sound you guys were hearing. No, no. It, yeah. it didn't really. It wasn't really linked to your voice. It was just. It was a loose connection or something. That's what it sounded like to me. I'll see if there's something I can do to reduce the static in it. I, I don't know. Maybe there is. There, there, there might be something. <laughs> Good luck. Um, I don't even know what it was. I, I, I didn't move any wires. I didn't change anything. <laughs> yeah, because I was thinking. I was like, who is that? Who? Who is? Yeah, There's I was doing the same thing too. I was like uh, scrambling through all of my sound chain here. I couldn't couldn't find it. I thought it might have been my headphones. It was, uh, yeah. Anyway, <sighs> boo all, right. Piss. all right, guys. We'll talk Good to you morning. next week. All right. Have a Take great weekend. Bye bye. Thanks again. You too. Bye, guys.